This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. I regret to inform you, you're on Chapel Probation, a podcast that takes a critical look at evangelical colleges and universities. But not today. Greetings, reprobates. Today we're doing something a little different, kind of like the after hours episodes from last season. I'm just going to talk to a friend, Gail, one of the co hosts of Full Mutuality, the podcast. And she's a co founder of Dauntless Media, which Chapel Probation is a part of. Early last year, I got a message from Nate, Gail's fiance and co host, just kind of saying hi and telling me he had enjoyed listening to chapel probation and i was pleasantly surprised someone from the east coast had heard it (laughs) i was still pretty new and you know yeah and i was really surprised to find another asian american podcaster in the deconstruct deconstruction world i immediately started listening to full mutuality and one of the first if not the first episodes i clicked on was one that addressed the asian hate the hate crimes that had been spiking during the pandemic. It was really powerful hearing Nate talk about what he was feeling, and it was just as powerful hearing Gail, his partner in life and podcasting, gently encouraging him to share his thoughts and his feelings. I learned that day that Nate and Gail are amazing people and an amazing couple. The care and sensitivity Gail showed as she navigated the episode kind of blew me away. Previously, she had given Nate space to process his thoughts on the issue and then encouraged him to speak publicly on full mutuality. This kind of centering of a partner's lived experiences is inspiring. So Gail is not Asian American, but she is a great listener and and has a great heart for people and of course... Full Mutuality is a great podcast that covers all manner of topics in life after fundamentalist Christian faith. And when they asked me to join Dauntless Media, I jumped in. So we have Full Mutuality, Chapel Probation, Profane Faith with Daniel White Hodge, who was a guest here on season one, and Leaving the Village, which is about life after Bill Gothard's IBLP cult, which hopefully you've seen, uh, Shiny Happy People. I'll be interviewing Jessica Goforth and Kit Reynolds for this season. And we just added our friends Megan and Cortland, who co-host the Thereafter podcast. It's an amazing group of amazing people. But today, we have a conversation with Gail, where we talk about her life, full mutuality, both the concept and the podcast, and the joys of being in an interracial relationship. My name is Gail. I went to I went to public school. I went to a school in Montreal named Rosemont High School. Um, and then I went to a school for teen moms for my last year of high school. I finished in like a small, it was a public school, but it was actually geared towards teen moms because I was, it was, I was a, a separate mom. school for teen yeah, moms? Yeah, for teen moms. It actually lived in a group home for my last year of high school. Um, I was a teen mom and I wanted to finish my last year of high school while you know, having a kid. 
So that that was how I finished high school, which was a bit hard because like uh, and I am coming from Montreal. We finish in grade 11, not grade 12, as everywhere else in Canada and U.S. is 12. But Quebec is weird. They try and be French and independent. So they finish in 11 and then they have something called like Cégep, which is like a college, which is like basically you, it shaves off a year of university when you go in later. Um, but it's like huh. a two a two year program. It's a different system, but yeah. So I and finishing did and we started in grade seven as high school here. So seven to eleven, I did that. Sorry, I did seven to ten with at Rosemount with my public school, and then my last year I didn't get to graduate with my peers because mm. I got knocked up, <laughs> and and yeah, that's uh that, that yeah, was my high school experience. That was public yeah. school, and then college. College. College was a public college in Montreal called Dawson College. And uh, I went, I, I went to college for a year. I had, I actually hit a wall and had a burnout. I didn't know what that mm. was. I had a nervous breakdown because, oh, I had a second kid. That's right. In between there. Oh, I think I went back to school it. after yeah. my second and I had two little kids and then I hit a wall <laughs> because I couldn't. Yeah. I was trying to juggle that in school and I was taking a full course load and it was too much. And I didn't, you know, when you're young, you, you don't understand you have limits. You just kind of go and go until you find out where that wall would yeah. crash into it. That was, that was me at age 18 with two little kids trying to do so, social science. That's <laughs> what I was in. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> having been a student and having been a parent, I, I can't imagine having to do both. Um, yeah. Uh, the same time i mean i had students at community college with kids and it was just like more power to you because uh, especially little kids babies that's uh yeah that's a whole different stage of life yeah yeah so you avoided like christian evangelical higher ed but but you you were pretty steeped in the evangelical culture so how did that play in like how you thought about school I mean, I did spend a lot of time in college hanging out in the Christian club. Um, IVCF was, I mean, I've listened to your episodes on IVCF. <laughs> IVCF was present. I was, I, and they were a bit weird. Like, I'm going to just say it. Like, they. No, say it. Yeah. They they sort of inserted themselves in there and acted like they were in charge, but they didn't officially, like, basically in order for any club to run in, in my school and my college, you had to, you know, go to the admin and, like, had to have a certain number of people signed up and, you know, put the name of who you wanted as your exec team, your leadership of the club, who would be responsible for the office hours and everything like that. So that's how it worked. And IVCF would just show up and then sort of let everyone know they were in charge, even though this, they, I mean, I don't know if the admin was even aware of who they were and what, maybe there was some arrangement, but they kind of came in very like, okay, we're the authorities here now. And I actually had some situations with some IVCF leaders who were really rude and nasty. And, and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> that was interesting. Wait, so, so were you involved with IVCF? I were... was. I, I spent okay, maybe so... <laughs> a year. Well, no, sorry. I was not involved in IVCF. Um, I I was involved in the Christian club where IVCF ended up inserted into. So I oh, spent oh, okay. time with the staff of IVCF. Oh, so when you said they took over, they were taking over like the existing Christian club? Yeah, they were sort of like deciding. Wow. They were, you know, they and in Montreal, the English colleges, there's not a lot of them. So in some ways they did some networking between the Christian colleges and and Montreal for context is a very secular city like in North America mm -hmm. it's probably one of the more secular places you're going to find and especially evangelicalism 
like try looking for a mega church in Montreal. You're gonna have a hard time, <laughs> especially in the English side of things. Wow, it's just, that's it's kind of yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I saw it as like living in darkness when I was young, and now yeah. I'm like, it's kind of nice. Kind of, uh, it's kind of. I appreciate it. You know, I appreciate uh, being in a society where, you know, it, and a lot of people cohabitate and don't get married, and it's not seen as weird, and there's not all this pressure to. I don't know all the weird stuff that comes with very conservative cultures. It doesn't exist here, so I, I haven't always appreciated that. And it's taken me, you know, getting older and understanding how things work in other places and the pressures on people to be like, oh yeah, it's kind of nice. You know, you don't have, yeah. you know, you're not seen as broken and, unless you get married really young, you know, and I did get married really young, but it wasn't seen the same way in my secular culture as it probably would if I was like in the South somewhere, you know, like, it's, oh, good for you. Now you're a legit human being. Yeah, I mean, kind of woman. here. Yeah. Here it was almost the opposite. It was almost like, yeah. why would you do that? Are you in a cult? Yeah. <laughs> the answer yeah. is yes. Yeah. Yes, I was. More than you know. Yeah. More than I knew, for sure. Yeah. So you get to college and you immediately seek out the Christian club. Right. Because because you are all all in at that point with I uh, am. Christianity, evangelical Christianity. I am an evangelical kid. So I grew up, I mean, I mentioned being in a group home, but I grew up in foster care. Um, mm-hmm. My parents, I was... I'm like trying to think of the shortest way to put it, but I was basically a parent to my parents as a little kid because of where they were at mentally. Um, So the social workers trying to provide us with stability, put us in a foster home for that. And it turned out to be the opposite of that in that the home was very abusive and it was very stressful and a very stressful home to live in. Um, Without getting into too much of that, basically, they, uh, my my biological dad had an evangelical family and he was like, I'd like to keep you on Sundays if you want to, you know, instead of spending one day with my parents on from Friday to Saturday. Like, well, we can extend it to Sunday if you want to go to church. And as a little kid, I was like, oh, yes, I totally want. And I really didn't care about church. I just wanted to get away from my foster home for an extra day. Yeah, and extra day. so that's how I ended up in evangelical church. My dad took me to an Italian Pentecostal church. And that's where I spent the first, I'd say, like from seven, when I accepted Jesus all the way till uh, I was probably around 15, I think. When maybe when I got pregnant, actually, because Italian culture can be very, I mean, Christian culture is already judgy <laughs> when it comes to teen pregnancy, but uh, evangelical Italians, yeah, that's a whole other level when it comes to teen pregnancy. So I kind of jetted out at that point, but I was, I had found another church I was attending their youth group, um, which wasn't Pentecostal, very big cultural shift for me. It was uh, just a regular white evangelical almost Baptist, his brother, and I don't know if you've ever heard of that weird denomination. But anyway, mm-hmm. it's, it's, yeah, they're kind of like Baptists, except they have like elders instead of pastors, and they break bread every week. Like, that's their distinctives. Um, and, you know, kind of just pretty typical beliefs when it comes to your white evangelical churches and or non-denominational looks a lot like that. Um, and that's, yeah, so I had already shifted going to youth group there. But all that to say, church as a kid in my Italian Pentecostal church, and then even shifting into youth group in another church, um, I was all in. Like I, this stuff for me was a life raft, I guess I would say. Like, yeah. um, Compared to was, what you had in your foster yes. care. Yeah. Yeah. It was like this concept of a divine being that loved me and that cared about me and and yeah. that was looking out, for, gave me a sense of hope or a sense of like, 
I think I needed that. I think I really needed a sense that like, you know, when I, when the Sunday school teacher would talk about Joseph being thrown into like, you know, all that he went through his whole story, right? He, he, he went through a lot, <laughs> got taken away from his family and, and was in a really bad scenario and one after another. And he's kind of seemed abandoned uh, in each scenario. He kind of, kind of went from bad to worse uh, until he ended in jail. And then, and then everything worked out. And as a kid, like the idea that God, that verse, you know, what, what others intended for harm, God used for good or I forget how it's worded in Genesis. But yeah. yeah, that that really like was like a like a life verse, almost like something I held on to. And the idea of, you know, this having a, all this bullshit <laughs> that I was going through. I could swear on your podcast, right, Scott? I mean, your no, book's full we, of we're it. We're pure here. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> I was told I was told by the Publishers Weekly um, person that the word fuck appears on 46 different pages that she, she yeah. counted them so, i am i am know, not all the way through your book but there's already yeah. a lot of fuck words all the way and yeah. you know with description well, and i did so. that i told her i did it on purpose i'm not just being profane there's a there's a there's a <laughs> no, satire there was a, a point, point you were, and, yeah. you're teaching english <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm teaching english <laughs> and that's what we're doing here so yeah use all, all right. the language all the words more words better I, I distracted myself from where even where I was. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Well, you you were describing your your religious upbringing and sort of where right. you were. The bullshit. So, That's it. Yes. The bullshit. Yeah. So, so it was. The word it was reminded some, us. There we go. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> religious upbringing. What word association do you have? Bullshit. Yeah. And it's bullshit. it's cra- yeah. it's crazy for me because I I don't. It was the most important, beautiful thing to me when I was younger. And it was, uh, like I said, life preserver. It was something I believed. I was, you know, um, I definitely thought I was that kid that heard from God and that communed with God and all of that. And um, I think it worked until it stopped working. And that took a very, very, very long time. Like, took it yeah, into, my, so, into my later 30s. <laughs> I mean, when you look back from this point of view today... It was like going, getting out of the frying pan and into like a less hot frying pan. Mm-hmm. I mean, did could, did you relate to? Is it the one of the Duggar daughters or wives or um, who um, who now goes to like MacArthur's church? So it's like oh, a lesser, I hear where you're going harmful, with that, right? She like, got out of do, ATI, IBLP, and, and lands into a yeah, yeah. MacArthur's, and, now and she's everyone's like, There's critical of here. her. Yeah, yeah, because comparatively, you know, right. it's a little less bad. Um, it's but she she has no excuse, less of excuse because she's not like a you know like a child <laughs> she's she's a grown ass woman but um, right and I think well, that's I, where the the criticism is but but indoctrination is is a powerful thing like if you you're taught these things really really young and then you buy into all of it it takes it takes certain things to break you out of of challenging yeah. those those beliefs and I think uh, marginalization is definitely one of those, you know, as I'm, as I'm listening to your book, I'm seeing those kind of threads of, of what has what woke you out. And then I think of myself as a woman and what woke me out. Uh, and yeah. it was that, it, that issue played a big role. So I think for sure, like you, even though you're grown out, like I'm embarrassed sometimes to be like, wow, I stayed that long in so many harmful beliefs that did me harm. And I didn't see them as that it took me, you know, like I think of the first times, so I ended up as a, like I said, it was all in. So went to the yeah. evangelical church my whole life. And then, you know, as a young adult, uh, I ended up a youth leader, youth pastor, actually, well, youth leader and then youth pastor, you know, made my way through it. But um, 
as as a woman in that space, in a church that was patriarchal, in a church that only had male leader, leadership, um, in a church where when they told me that, you know, they wanted me to take over the leadership, I, I stared at them wide eyed and I was like, did you guys pray about this? Like all of you? And I was just doubting. Like I just had severe doubts that this is where God wanted me because it didn't line up with this idea I had that men are the ones who God calls into these positions and he doesn't call women into these positions. And my beliefs wow. reflected that because that is what I was taught. So it was very jarring for me to be like, oh, I, I have to push even my own boundaries. Like I know I'm capable of this. I've been, you know, volunteer doing this for a yeah. long time, but like to actually have that title. And so in my church culture, I had people pushing back against that who would say to me, um, in the bulletin, it says your name, but maybe shouldn't it say you and your husband's names together, like would come up to me to say that to me. Or uh, I'd have young adults walking out when I spoke because women are not supposed to teach men and they had turned yeah. 18. And so now it was just wrong for them to hear, like to listen to my voice, <laughs> to, to cross the line and like, it was offensive to God to have to hear me. So, and then I had other kids who, you know, would, would come up to me and say, hey, Gail, we're sorry we offended you by walking out. Can you give us a schedule for when you're preaching and we just won't show up those weeks? <laughs> like if you're running a video or doing an event, we'll show oh. up. But if you're speaking, we won't. So we don't have to offend you by walking out on you. Like they thought they were doing something nice. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, like, as I was, it's interesting, I was listening to, uh, well, I was listening your book uh, as I was going through some of it you're talking about the the women at the school and what they dealt with. And I really appreciate that in your book that you highlight some of the other groups that have been harmed too. But like the attitude towards women teaching, teaching them, oh, yeah. definitely something I resonated. I resonated with that so hard because I had those experiences inside evangelical churches. And yeah. and yeah, so when it was happening towards me, when I was the target of it and I believed in all that, I was like, well, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And I, I just was like, it's, it's, why should I put my own ego in this? Pride is the worst sin. So it doesn't matter if they're treating me that way because it's me. But then <laughs> I went on to watch other women who I valued and loved and not one, but multiple women in multiple situations that were different than mine. But it's almost like I got like a 101 on how the patriarchy can harm women um, through from different angles, through the women that were closest to me in my life at that yeah. point. And I think that's where it started to unravel for me. It was like, oh, man, this is really harm. This environment is harmful towards women. And when it was towards me, it's like it just flew right over my head because I was willing to right. put up with that. But like watching because yeah, you're trained, like, you're indoctrinated to. Yeah, yeah. Suffering for Christ and like it's a badge of honor and like but I'm very loving and protective of the people who are close to me and watching them go through, you know, really traumatic stuff and watching how male leadership handled different scenarios. That was that was a lot to take in. And I think that started to make me start to really ask questions about the environment till till the point where I was standing in church on a Sunday listening to one of my favorite speakers preach a sermon that I I kind of have heard him I know he likes to tell this story so it was something familiar that I'd heard him preach before maybe not at church but I've heard him outside talking and I was like this is a story I love this is a speaker I love but like knowing all the backgrounds of what was happening in that to the women around me it was like yeah, no, this this no longer like it. It felt wrong. It really it felt like misrepresentation of of the whole. And and the story was actually I could probably give give you the exact story. It was about um, David looking for one of Jonathan's uh, 
grandchildren, I think it was Mephibosheth. I don't know if I'm saying the name right, but he was he was crippled. And David pulled him to have him sit at his table and be treated with kindness because he loved Jonathan. And um, it was just that I. Yeah, yeah, he loved David. He loved Jonathan. Those are good questions we don't ask as evangelicals because we're not allowed to ever think in that direction. Surpass the love of women, I think it was described. I mean, yeah, the verses, if you look at them and open your mind, yeah. you know, just a little, just a little, you can yeah. notice a no, lot. No. I'm pretty but, sure they said no homo before they before they reading that anything, verse. So, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, before David and Jonathan said anything. Yeah. 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 So, I guess. Um, so that that for that story was about uh, God supporting the marginalized people and how He cared for the ones who were marginalized, and I like I resonated with that. So I loved that story. Yeah. And then kind of looking at a story like that and hearing it being preached, and then thinking of the marginalized people in my own community, and it was women and it was me, um, and and my and the people I cared about, and then just not that like, I knew that was my last Sunday, and 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 then wow. from there having to sort of deconstruct other stuff that didn't directly impact me like racism and things that you know i think a lot of us start with what directly impacts us and then we start looking at all the other groups that are also affected aside from just us right so yeah i mean hopefully people do (laughs) maybe not all the deconstruction folks you're completely right yeah you to your credit um took a look around and yeah i think i think being called out to like I know some people are very sensitive to shame who come out of evangelicalism. And so, you you know, being kind about how you say stuff and not causing shame ends up a big topic because people are like, you know, we were always, it was always about being right or wrong. But like, I'm just not afraid to yeah. say if you're sexist, if you're racist, if, you, you know, there's certain things that to me, I'm like, wrong, still wrong. Like I can say it straight up. I'm not going <laughs> to two sides to any of this bullshit. And yeah. so I needed people who, when I was just pro-women, and I was still holding on to some of those other evangelical harmful teachings to just tell me straight up, hey, guess what? You're causing harm. Your positions are only, you know, you're you're wanting to step out of this teaching, but you're like keeping one foot in. And you're and it's interesting, like when I think of homosexuality as a topic in trans and how how much in the states that's a, that's the rage topic at the, that's the hot topic is drag queens and trans people and they're yeah. so under attack and i think of you know women who are so excited about egalitarian and they call it egalitarian spaces where like people are promoting women but they're not affirming and i'm like you do understand how the patriarchy works right like the reason yeah. drag queens and trans people and gay people are all in a front is because they attack the patriarchy directly because you can't have hierarchy when it's two people of the same gender and it's and we're taught it's all based on your private parts who's controlling who right so you mess right. with gender and you're messing with that structure that they say is god ordained um so i think you know wanting to not be patriarchal but only support women was was a futile endeavor and I needed people to say, hey, you know, you're you're on the fence on this topic. You're actually not supporting dismantling patriarchy. You're still you're still supporting it indirectly, even through and I I wasn't taking any like I'm against homosexuality stances. I wasn't. I was more like, oh, I'm on the fence. It's I'm Mm. thinking it over, like not wanting to commit, but yet I wanted people to commit to being pro woman. So that was I needed people to I needed people to challenge me on that to show me like the hypocrisy like of wanting wanting my rights and not doing that for others and I think white women in particular we have that challenge of like and history and American women even more of of yeah of that sort of a thing yeah and and I'll, you know and I'll give women the benefit of the doubt because they do get treated really badly 
it by the by the culture. Um, it it takes an extraordinary person like yourself and many others, who who can recognize the harm done to them by evangelical culture, the purity culture, patriarchy, and also pay attention to other people who are harmed. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm not giving him a pass, <laughs> but I do understand that women in evangelical spaces are put through the ringer and put in and really oppressed in so many ways um, that I, I'm sympathetic to, to helping, you know, I know people get really pissed at, um, well, like the, the, the woman the, the, in the Duggar family and all these other people. But, you know, there's a part of me that salutes her for just getting out of that, <laughs> you know, because that's... Step one, yeah. Right? Hope, it's I, bad enough. I mean, it's a shitty thing that she got into. <laughs> and yeah. we can deal with that. We can, <laughs> we can, well, but like, yeah. We could all look at the younger versions of ourselves and be like compassionate exactly. towards that. The, the person we used to be that didn't see things the way we do now. Yeah, and that's important yeah. for sure. To, and to yeah. have compassion to, to the indoctrination that we all all of us coming out of evangelicalism went through. Yeah, for sure. And, and to varying degrees, um, you know, yeah. I so appreciate Gail repeatedly bringing up my book. <laughs> she was listening to an advanced version of the audiobook back in April. And I'm so glad there were parts that resonated with her. As she mentioned here, everything shitty that I encountered at APU, or EVU as I call it in the book, was bad really bad at times, but I had the privilege of being born male and identifying as male, whatever that means. I guess I'm saying everything bad I experienced would have been much worse if I were also a woman, because that's evangelical culture. I write in my book about women professors who were told by students that they shouldn't be teaching men. Some colleagues confided in me that their dean hauled them into meetings to discuss their marital or relational status. The deans were usually men, but damn, not always. Patriarchal culture, purity culture, definitely, it harms everyone, but man, it really hits women hard. I can't imagine a man being hauled in to, to his dean to discuss his views on marriage and family. Um, and if, if you don't know, the re- what they're digging for is evidence that the person, the woman in this case, is, is not a lesbian or not some kind of hardcore feminist who is against marriage. Because, um, yeah, that's evangelical culture. unprecedented access to information, news, and media. But what happens when all that information leads you to suddenly realize you spent the majority of your childhood in a cult? Well, we can tell you. Join me, Jessica Goforth, and Kathleen Reynolds as we take you into the world of cult recovery after all the emotional, psychological, financial, and sexual abuse we experienced as part of Bill Gothard's Advanced Training Institute. On our podcast called Leaving the Village, we talk candidly about our journey out and interview other survivors whose experiences will boggle your mind as scandals continue to rock the twisted world of IBLP. Subscribe to Leaving the Village today so you don't miss a single episode. 
Hey everyone, I'm Nate from the Full Mutuality Podcast. I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into this show. We're so grateful that you've decided to spend your time with us. Seriously, Dan, Gail, Jessica, Kathleen, Scott, and the rest of us here at the Dauntless Media Collective couldn't produce content like the show you're listening to without your support. I'd also like to invite you even further into the conversation. Right now, there are some great discussions happening over in the Dauntless Media Collective Discord server. If you're interested in chatting with other folks who are deconstructing and decolonizing the oppressive traditions that they came from, please feel free to hop on into the server. If you don't know what Discord is, it's a place where communities can gather online for chatting on a wide variety of topics. In our Discord server, we have channels devoted to general deconstruction conversations, some meme sharing, therapeutic venting about whatever religious bullshit you're currently dealing with, and even a channel specifically devoted to talking about the latest episodes of the podcast you're listening to right now. I hope you'll join us. You can log in directly to the Dauntless server by clicking the link in the show notes or heading to dauntless.fm and clicking the link in the top banner. See you there. When when you were you de- do you when you look back do you see how you were deconstructing things um throughout or were there just like moments of like aha like ooh this like that like that was a beautiful story about the sermon like that was a mm-hmm. flashpoint in, in actual deconstruction. Were most of your steps like that? Or do you also look back and see sort of gradual descent into, you know, apostasy? <laughs> it's so funny. Like, I think as like when I look back to being a really young evangelical, I think of how I was fascinated with cults as a kid. And, you know, because I was, you know, I'd hear about Jehovah Witness or Mormon or other mm. other groups where like if you in Jehovah Witness specifically, if you um, left it your family had to dissociate from you. Like there was yeah. hard lines of losing everyone. Um, and I thought, well, that's, that's awful. Like how, how can any group claim to love you and just cut you off when you change your beliefs? Well, at least evangelicals don't do that. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, funny cause there's no direct rule, but ask most people yeah. when they leave that, that if, you know, people stick around and reach out to them and it's, it's just, yeah. It's there's, unwritten. There is a lot of unwritten <laughs> rules, right? And like, you know, you could attribute it to just pressure of like, these are the expectations or even even when you leave that world, sometimes like I don't feel comfortable being around someone who's just going to be looking for an opportunity to bring me back to the truth, quote unquote, you know, like um, yeah. there's there's reasons why you might feel like you can't show up as your authentic self around people who are just going to be devastated nonstop by where you've landed, you know, and that it's not yeah. where, where they're, where they still are, where you, like, I don't know if you have these moments, Scott, but like, do you ever imagine having a conversation with younger you? Like if you flew in a time machine and went back to little younger Scott in his twenties, and then you told him yeah. where you were now and you imagine like 20 year old Scott being horrified at where, like, do you yeah. ever have those thoughts? Cause I do. I it's actually in the book ahead. You're, it's, you're heading Ooh, toward I haven't in, gotten in towards book. it yeah. yet. There's a couple, oh, there's a couple of spots where I, I addressed my younger self. Um, and you were starting to talk about what you might, you were, I think in chapter three, you're talking about giving younger you a hug. You weren't going to slap him. You were going to give him a hug. If you, oh yeah. If no, you I'll had. slap him. There's a couple of <laughs> points of slapping later on. <laughs> um, I can't wait to get through the rest. I'm um. excited. I'm enjoying it so far. Um, but yeah, I, I often think of like younger me and how I would have seen where I'm at now and been horrified because, yeah. cause my I don't beliefs, think it would be a good, I don't think younger me would receive the conversation well without without a, all the context of time and right. development that happened to bring us to where we are or, or forward yeah 
it's those experiences that sort of help, you know, bust us out of those rigid positions or harmful yeah. positions that we held on to that we thought were so vital to everything. And yeah. uh, so that I guess that makes it too a little bit of a challenge when I'm around evangelicals is I'm like, I know exactly how you're perceiving me right now. Because yeah. I know how yeah, I you know what they're going to say. Yeah. I know how I would have saw others who did what I did when I think of different friends when they left their faith and how I was just devastated and horrified yeah. by it. And I'm like, yep, that's probably what they're grieving is the me who used to line up with their thoughts, who they felt was going to heaven, you know, and they didn't have to worry about that, you know, and now they're worried yeah. again. And yeah. so, <laughs> yeah, so I think younger me, it was so fascinated with cults and would study them. And I think as time went on, uh, I, you know, I like to read up on like, um, the John MacArthur's, you know, you're talking about the Duggars, mm. but I loved reading about those fringe fundamentalist people and like how far they to King James only is and like not just the cults, but the little edges of Christianity. Like, it's funny when Nate was telling me, I know he came on your show, my fiance and talked about Bob Jones and his experience there. But um, like I had an understanding of his background, not from experience, but from just reading up. <laughs> on, oh. I'm like, oh, you're one of them. Tell me. Tell me about all those rules. Yeah, you couldn't cut your hair. You, I mean, you couldn't <sighs> grow your hair past a certain point. Yeah. All, you couldn't listen to music with a drum beat, like all the weird stuff. I I was yeah. fascinated with, with this, the extremes of Christianity. And I think, you know, just... I think there was pieces of me that was already starting to work through what a high control experience looks like without acknowledging my own scenario being that. And uh, I think maybe some of the bigger nails in the coffin for me was was a twenty my twenty year marriage falling apart and and getting a divorce. I think you know there's there's I've read this quote somewhere that's like if churches uh, taught you to recognize unhealthy marriages. And how to get out of those, you would be leaving your churches too. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. thought that was really – and actually, I think I, when I shared it online, the amount of likes and shared, it was like one of my most liked or shared things yeah. I put up at the time. And I was like, I'm sad so many people can relate to this, that these things go together. But I think there was deconstru like there was deconstruction happening as a kid who was always inquisitive and wanting to like look at what does freedom mean? What does that mean inside a religious context? And I mean, I grew up um, Pentecostal and – I remember having issues with this whole thought of like, if we didn't speak in tongues, we were told we weren't really saved. And as a kid who was so devout Ooh. and sincere, I would pray that I'd have the gift of tongues all the time because they said, that's what you need to do. And it never happened. And I remember just being like stunned because I felt like my faith was so core to who I was and like, this just didn't seem to fit. And then that led me to studying the Bible and finding passages that kind of challenge those beliefs. And so I've always been the inquisitive kind that was like, okay, if this doesn't make sense, let me go back to the Bible. Let me see what it says. And ironically, learning more and more about the Bible is what helped me deconstruct mm -hmm. the whole inerrancy and all of this stuff yeah. about the Bible came through. I mean, I think you've had those conversations uh, on your podcast about the kids in religious studies and like the, how the, how that ends up impacting kids a lot is just seeing yeah. how the Bible actually does work and how it was put together and learning the, the context of it. And um, it doesn't, you know, doesn't carry the evangelical narrative of what it's supposed to do <laughs> and what yeah. it's meant to do and, and how it's supposed to be consistent all the way through and be your, your, your manual for life and your answer guide and all the rest of that. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, now you, you get why God didn't want them to eat of that tree of knowledge. <laughs> it's uh, um. it's it, it's so interesting, too, how those stories get told. Like, 
I, Genesis is fascinating to me as poetry and like yeah. um, even I love I love learning how Jewish, Jewish people interpret their own texts. It's a fascination of mine because as an evangelical, mm. definitely heard very different versions of all the exact same stories and the way we right. interpreted them really reflected right. a lot of our, like you said, I mean, that idea of them questioning God and wanting knowledge and that being seen as the big problem. It kind of it kind of jives with evangelical culture and how right. you understand the whole thing, right? If it yeah. doesn't make sense to you, yeah, it's right there in the very beginning of Genesis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, damn. Yeah, you, you're sort of taught to turn out to tune out your own intuition on that kind of stuff, and like, oh, absolutely. Um, There's I'm a in- tweet going around this week about not uh, not interrogating anything or not not accepting certain facts <laughs> there's a like a mega church pastor tweeted something this week and oh, it's yeah, been I being think... passed around it's like what it's like, yeah, yeah no, something oh i saw I mean, I, something different than that i saw a sign on a lutheran church that said well, let's see if i can pull this up real fast yeah. but it was along what you just said about not interrogating things it it was like literally you know one of those billboards outside a church that has something written on the with the letters and everything on top of like yeah oh maybe that's to, where i saw it uh, on that in church was this sign the, was this the one that you saw sacrifice intellect when contradictory to yeah, the word of that's god it. yeah that's that was it yep i was looking at that and sharing that today too and uh someone said not just intellect but compassion humanity curiosity yeah. morality sovereignty yeah. ultimately love i yeah. it, I I was listening to your book as well, and you're you're talking about cutting off pieces of yourself in order, you know, to make to make it work in an evangelical environment, um, even for the Asian club at your school. I don't want to give away all your book, but it was fascinating. No, oh, yeah, it's good for you to compare, you know, the pieces you had to cut off versus being in an Asian club outside of your school and what that was like, and being able to bring your whole self there. Uh, definitely related in evangelical culture to the idea of all the different stuff you need to tune out to to make the whole thing hold together. And I didn't notice that. You don't, you're, you're just taught to do it. So. Yeah. And then when you're in it, you even accept it, mm-hmm. you know, as you did, you know, they, they offer you a job and you're like, are you sure? <laughs> Cause it's so ingrained in you that these are the, the rules that you have to follow. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you, you, you were married and you are now engaged to someone named Nate. Yes, who, a friend of our, to, a friend of yours. Who went, who <laughs> went to Bob Jones? <laughs> yep. Um, so yeah, like the, whenever whenever I hear about people who find relationships post faith or post deconstruction, um, yeah, talk about how how that has process has been in in contrast to your previous life. Oh man, that's a that's a great one. Um, yeah, I was like, what am I going to talk with Scott about? I didn't go to an evangelical university. I've, it's been fascinating to listen to, and it definitely jives with stories I've heard from my friends who went to Bible college. But I was like, oh, what yeah, but you were in the culture, so I was in the culture. It's, yeah, I'm like it's Scott like, wants me on his podcast. How can I say no? I love Scott. I'm going to come. Yeah. <laughs> come and talk. <laughs> well, like this season, I wanted to expand it. You know, I think this might be the last hurrah. So, um, ah. so, so yeah, let's just have all the after. conversations. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think definitely being married to an evangelical made it hard to push too far in my deconstruction. I was always maybe leaning more and more progressive and trying to have those hard conversations even within our marriage about where I landed on stuff. You know, like he was very um, pro-forced birth. I'm going to call it that because I know they like to sure. use another term. But 
the whole culture is so pro-death. Like, you know, you think yeah. of the same people pushing, you know, you can't have abortions are the ones that are not going to ban school shoot. Like, you know, AK-14 or whatever the rifles are, the, the assault rifles. Yeah. Are, they're just like, yeah, we care about life. Not really after they're born at all. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a misnomer, you know. the term they use. Yeah. Yeah. So like I, you know, would have those kind of conversations about about those types of topics. And, you know, we just were on we were on different pages a lot. And what's funny yeah. is that, you know, when I think of of what we had in common, it would have been, you know, I think of I don't know if you ever heard that, you know, don't be unequally yoked. Like as a Christian, yep. you aren't supposed to be with a non-Christian. That was a teaching that, you know, I, I taught myself. I, there's a lot I passed on that I regret. I've had to do my apology tours and sit down one on one with anyone I've I've remembered saying harmful things too. And if anyone's listening and you're like, yeah. Gail, you haven't sat down and talked to me about something horrible you taught me, I'd be happy to sit and listen. And, you know, definitely. And if you don't want to ever see my face again after anything harmful I've said to you, that's completely legitimate. And huh. I, res- I respect that because yeah, people have but- done that to me too. I've been on the other. No, but I've been on the other oh. side of that where I'm like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> you know, yeah, I- I'll take your apology from afar and. I still don't feel like seeing you anymore. That's okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Yeah. I mean, but yeah. So, um, teaching to not be unequally yoked. Sorry, my ADHD mind just hops like a rabbit trail and I have to find my way back to where I started. But yeah, no, it's like, we don't, we don't have to necessarily, you don't have to focus on the previous relationship, but like the post. Yeah. No, but getting to that or where I was going with that was like, literally, um, we lined up on, so the unequal yoke thing is like your beliefs have to align. And we believed in Ooh, all the okay, stuff, see, yeah, believed yeah. in Jesus, believed the resurrection, like all the main points where they're like, these are the things that make you a Christian. We shared it. And then what we didn't share yeah. were our values. Actually, our values couldn't have been more opposite. And you would think if you believe in Jesus, I mean, I always find it funny when Christians say, oh, that person's not a real Christian. A real yeah. Christian couldn't blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, how convenient. Everyone says that about everyone else in that group. Yeah. Everyone has an yeah. agenda. And, and supposedly has a, it's the same Jesus, but he sounds like yeah. a different guy to every single one of them to every single one of them right right yeah. and like even inside of evangelicalism just the array of you know what it means to yeah. be a christian is so so broad and so um definitely we would have both lined up on all the main points of doctrine but our value system okay. did yeah, not yeah. did not at all align so i remember when i got together with nate my fiance um i remember my sister i've shared this in another podcast so but i love this story my sister was a little concerned she's like well what if your beliefs shift again because nate and i kind of we're both in a deconstruction sort of space coming out of evangelicalism but i think that's what i that's really what i keyed into and i responded with our values align like when it comes to the things we value you know caring about the marginalized kindness as like one of our top values um caring for the people around us and and being loving and compassionate and all the stuff that that like our values just totally synced up and being in a relationship like that has been so harmonious um I think when I when I first met Nate, he was further down that deconstruction hill than I was. Uh, much further, I think I was like taking a break from church and I was re- I was reevaluating everything. You know, mm-hmm. but I'd be open to hearing his perspectives on stuff, and I'd be like, "Oh, it's it's a little far out there." You know, sometimes I'd be like, <laughs> "I'm not sure that I'm that I'm quite." And it's funny because probably where I am now. He, I've left him in the dust behind me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh hey, <laughs> <laughs> oh there you are. No, you he just we're, blew we're, past him. <laughs> I mean, maybe not that extreme. I think we're actually quite close to where we're each other on all this. It sounds like it. Listening to your podcast, yeah. you guys are a good team. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's lovely, and I definitely you know enjoying a relationship post evangelicalism and post you know bad relationship and and doing it in a in a healthy good way has been. 
uh, it's been an adjustment. I think one of the things I didn't expect was that it would be hard. That was that going from a bad relationship into a good one would would take adjustment in my head to accept that something could be that. The other thing they teach you inside evangelicalism is that marriage is hard work. And it's supposed to be tough and it's supposed yep. to be hard. And right you'll see that. posts by 18-year-olds, you know, I'm married and it's so difficult and it's, it's so a marriage hard. is so hard. And you're like, oh, you dear child. Work. Dear child, what have you gotten yourself into? Yeah. I'm worried you're in an abusive marriage right now already. And, and <sighs> yeah, they just set you up so young for, for, for damage. But, you know, I think of, of it not being hard work. And I'm saying that it's not hard work. And I mean, like... Nate and I were a cross-border couple. I, I live in a different country from him. During the, we started dating a year before the pandemic, and and then the border shut on us. And yeah. you know, as you remember, during that time, it's not like we knew when the end was coming. It's not like we had a clue when things would open back up. It was like indefinite. We can't be together. And I'm a touch person. That's my love language. Couldn't get my hugs. Couldn't get my cuddles. Could not. The thing that makes me feel the most loved couldn't have it. Um, and just felt miserable. Like can't see my person. And 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 we mm. don't know when things are going to change. So that was like a good year and a and a half of our of our relationship. We went through that. And I would still say like that was easier than my marriage. Like that was not hard work. Having somebody who yeah. was who was so supportive of me, who was like. You know, every day Nate was there for me, like he was kind and thoughtful and would figure out how to check in with me and be my person from afar, you know, kind of like no matter the obstacles, we're going to figure out how to creatively be there for each other. And I don't know, kind of think of like I heard someone give an example of uh, where marriage is hard work, how it could look different. So like saying marriage is hard work because you guys are both in a fire together and you're like, you know, struggling and trying to get out and bring all your things or take whatever you can before the house collapses. And now you've, you know, your, your house has gone up in flames. So it's hard. That's different than yeah. your spouse sets your house on fire. <laughs> Those are not the same. Marriage is hard, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so like going through stuff as a couple, that's been difficult. We've gone through some stuff, but where you're together as a team and your support to each other. I mean, you've, you said we make a good team on our podcast, but I feel like that's a good reflection of, our relationship like there are times nate and i will be in a car having an amazing conversation i'm like darn it i wish we hit record on this that would have made a good podcast episode <laughs> we could have just thrown it up there it was such a good conversation but i feel like that's a little bit of a a peek into how we just relate and communicate in real life and and i yeah. find it i find myself so fortunate because um my 20 years of marriage was the opposite of that it was like never feeling like i was understood or um yeah, I heard somebody say, you know, find someone who speaks your heart language so you don't spend your lifetime translating yourself or having to Oof. translate yourself, yeah. something like that. And I was like, yeah, I feel like when he knew me for a month, he had known me better than the person I was with for 20 years. And I was like, this is so weird. Like, this is strange. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think when older, like, I remember hearing the work thing, you know, marriage is hard, it's work, from from older folks um, when I was a kid and then when I was going to get married, even since I've been married. And I think they mean effort. It takes effort, <laughs> mm. you know, but to me, like things, there are things that are, you know, algebra was harder than, than marriage. Um, chemistry, hated chemistry, so much hard work. And for what, you know, and well, for me anyway, but like when, I think when you marry the right person and you 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 are two people who are matched in you know all the ways you said uh, values morality um but also people who value each other as human beings and partners mm. equally I mean 
it takes effort, but it's not been hard work in the sense of like going out and digging a ditch or um, solving some kind of quadratic equation or something. You know, it's like it's effort and it takes care and it takes attention, but it's like it's not that hard. I think and I, and I feel lucky because and I, I feel like when I, when I hear you and Nate interact, it's the same thing. Um, it's not hard work in the sense that I think they're saying they're te- they, were, they tried to tell us because because maybe for them it was hard I look at my parents and, and I don't think my parents listen to this but like there's their marriage is hard work they're they're constant especially in their old age they're constantly at each other's throats and you know disagreeing with each other and not understanding each other it's like it's like shepherding like kindergartners and um it's like yeah that's not, that seems awful it's uh it's not how it's not it's not how my marriage ended up um so, you and Terry uh, yeah. are, are an inspiration too. I mean, even just how you know, and and it's I guess from from reading your book or from reading your statuses about your book coming to fruition and learning about you know what you guys have been through and what Jerry has been through and and how you've been a support to her and what like it's beautiful and yeah that's hard but it's not like you guys were a support to each other in the middle of the stuff that life threw at the two of you and it's it's beautiful. Yeah, and that's the key is to each other. You know, it's like we both value each other and care for each other so you know i you know it helps that you <laughs> that you can party with your your partner and you can you know be your true authentic self and mm-hmm. let loose and these are all things that you couldn't or you weren't supposed to do in inside of the faith you know yeah yeah um, it's true i think things that are taboo that you you shouldn't be talking about you know past experiences or you know yeah all all the the thoughts that come to mind um, that are counter to purity culture, counter to whatever we were taught as kids in Sunday school. Um, and it's just life, you know, it's just, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. So. so one of the reasons we do this work, other than making tons and tons of money, uh, is simply to get stories out there. Our stories of tragedy and triumph can change the world. And, as she mentioned, Gail has been through some stuff. Evangelical culture teaches us to be afraid of all the wrong things. Our conversation made me think of things like Dobson's focus on the family and a bunch of other crappy things. And, oof, well, here's a little about how my mind works in sketch form. I might as well take advantage of my grown-ass kids being home for a few weeks. And welcome to another episode of Focus on a Family. I'm your host, Stand for God. A little content warning here. This episode contains some terrifying first-person accounts of demonic possession as a result of public school indoctrination. Be sure to put on the full, and I mean the fullest, armor of God right now, lest you be seduced by the evil one and his demons in public schools. Okay, our guests today are Phil, my heart, and his sons, Tyler and Owen. Welcome, my heart family. Thank you, Stan. Great to be here with you. Praise God. Praise him indeed. Tell us a little about you and your family, Phil. Well, Stan, I'll tell you what. I was raised a good soldier in God's awesome army and in Assemblies of God's Church in Kansas. 
I married my junior high school sweetheart, Mary. Praise be, Phil. And where is precious Mary today? She's in rehab, Stan. In an asylum in Topeka. An asylum? Oh, no. Yes, sir. Satan got into my family wanting something fierce. And it's all my fault. You see, I lost my job at the milk farm, and we couldn't afford the godly private Bible school in town. We had to send our kids to public school. No. Well, in retrospect, we should have homeschooled. But Mary only has her GED, and I just have a high school diploma. That math gets gosh darn hard past the second grade. I understand, Phil. So, what happened? Well, before we knew it, our boys were indoctrinated into depraved and heretical lifestyles. You mean, the homosexual lifestyle? Well, not exactly. Something far worse. I'm a wizard, and my name is Balthazar! I see skies of blue. And it sounds like Owen has become... Satchmo. Louis Armstrong. Red roses, too. Oh, Lord, have mercy. It's worse than we could have imagined. Tyler, how old are you? It may not look like it, but I'm 785 years old. He's 12. I see them blue for me and you. Fireball, motherfucker! Satan has won a major victory. Poor Mary just couldn't take it anymore. She started drinking, and she, when she spoke in tongues, she just, she started... <sighs> started what, Phil? It's okay. We're honoring God with this conversation. Okay, well, she started cussing every single time she spoke in tongues. <sighs> it feels good just to confess this. Uh, cussing? Yeah, you know, she would start speaking in tongues. Oh, and then I'd hear her say, motherfucking shit, fucking church, bullshit, fuck me, etc., etc. Oh my, we'll have to bleep that. Bleep an A. My pronouns are magic and wizard. Oh lord, not the pronouns. Get thee behind, Satan. You mean wizard, because that's what I am. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Well, folks. I think we've seen today the evils of public education and how it can destroy a family. Um, Dad? Y yes, son? Is it really you speaking? We're just fucking with you. I don't really think I'm a wizard, and school's great. Yeah, and Mom started drinking because she fucking hates church. She's not in rehab, she's in Vegas at a swingers convention. Well, praise God, none of y'all are possessed by Satan. God is so good. It's a miracle. So, do we still have to go to church? You're not learning science, are you? Because that would be bad. I'm a wizard again! Oh, God. No, you do not get those four minutes of your life back. Sorry. Okay, so I got that out of my system. And one great thing about Gail is that she sees people like Nate and me Asian American men that we are, Gail sees us as human. Now, that that sounds like duh, but you know, in a world where Asian men are seen as invisible or the least desirable, that we we won that poll, yeah. Um, so people like Gail and my wife Jerry, and our communities, all of you, uh, you represent the amazing half of people <laughs> in society that sees us. Uh, anecdotally, about half of the world does not see Nate or I as the visionaries, 
leaders, artists, and hot, sexy, love gods yeah. that we are. Their loss. Really, though. Being seen for who we are instead of who we are assumed to be or not be. That's an amazing feeling. It's one we don't often have in this world. Or even even just having a sense of humor, like listening yeah. to your audiobook and and you being the funny guy you are. And I it's obvious <laughs> on your podcast too, your sarcastic wit, your I mean, you get in the jokes and you know, you're you're creative with that stuff too. It's it's mm. part of who you are. In evangelical culture, that really yeah, is fly, humor. Huh? Humor is just not understood, right? Like it's it's um you don't t you're not taking life seriously enough. And I think for myself as a kid who was uh, put in scenarios where I had to be very serious and I had to be the adult mm -hmm. all the time, you know, I have different versions of myself. I have the version of myself that's serious, who had to look after really serious scenarios young. And then I have the side of me as playful. And actually, that's probably the most authentic version of myself is the one who likes to play and have fun and joke around. And that's why I love your podcast. That's why I connect with you. It's why I enjoy your book. I'm like, ah, oh, Scott's the fun one. I love it. I love Aww. it. It's, 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 it speaks to my heart language and, and teasing and playfulness is so part of who I am. But I think definitely in the environments that I was in, that was suppressed, right? Like that was you know, it, whether it was church, my marriage, like just different places where that piece of or just the life experiences I was in that couldn't really rise to the surface. And definitely yeah. being in a, in a relationship where you can joke around and be ridiculous is a lot of fun and <laughs> just literally be cheesy and dumb with each other and silly <laughs> and make immature jokes that are like 14 year old yeah. jokes with each other and like yeah. laugh at dumb things. <laughs> There's probably a gender issue somewhere in there, too. Because I think I feel like the men are supposed to be these like joking, you know, hipster, you know, type dudes. Um, men are allowed to be more. You think in the in the, the yeah, surroundings, well, especially if you're in like the Driscoll kind of thing. You know, men are men, mm -hmm. and yeah, we can say fuck, and we can we can watch raunchy movies and laugh about it, and you know, it's like, hmm. But women are supposed to be, you know, not you know, or, or different gotta be more proper um, yeah probably it's funny you bring this up because um my wife you know I, I for my book i took all these promotional i bought on amazon like a cult costume and like a six dollar poster of like satanism <laughs> these things exist <laughs> it was really cheap so i put up the, the big satan poster and i stood in front of it with my cult thing and it's a it's a it's it's satire, you know, it's like, okay, you mm -hmm. left the face, so everyone assumes you're sa satanic, hedonist, whatever. Right. And so I'm going with that. And she said, she she talked to my parents, and she's like, I think your parents are actually worried that you're <laughs> worshiping Satan. You might want to tell them that it's <laughs> what you're doing. <laughs> you might want to explain like, what's going on here to yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> because... the. the <laughs> And I was this kind of person, even when I was a Christian, I was sort of, you know, an edgy Christian. Um, and my parents have never really understood because <laughs> they're friends. The people they hang out with, you know, they don't get satire. They don't get sarcasm as well. And and so generational things, yeah. too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think just if <laughs> if you can read the Bible and take it literally, then <laughs> there's there's not a lot of imagination there. Or maybe there's too much imagination. Shit. I don't know. It's it's but it's like a mindset, right? Of literal everything's literal and black and white and um Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> So um 
let's let's finish up by talking about your podcast, Full Mutuality. We, you guys, found me and added me to the Dauntless Media Collective, which is a beautiful, it's amazing. growing thing. You are like the um, see, you're the goofball, but you're also in our group, sort of like the wise, the wise Gandalf figure in our in our group. Because just because I'm old, just because yeah. you're the oldest I'm of us, longest in the tooth, but. <laughs> But also you have all that that experience and when people need help with their audio, people are like, Scott, how do I do this? What do I do? Oh, You're yeah. like well, the Nate's one... good at that too. Yeah. Yeah. But he likes coming to you too with his stuff. Definitely. Been no, there. we share. We trade. We trade. Trade info. And, share yeah. share setups and pictures of whatever new Total equipment. nerd out about our <laughs> yes. gear. Yeah. Totally. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, Nate, Nate and Jessica formed Dauntless Media and you joined in and I joined, a bunch of us joined in for the ride with our podcasts and Nate and I do full mutuality together. Uh, I'm trying to think. It's been a little over a year we've been doing it. Um, and we just, uh, we initially wanted to just talk about, um, you know, people who are on the margins in society. And I think we've sort of stayed within evangelicalism just because there's just so much in there to talk about. And definitely there's, um, I mean, your podcast being in this inside evangelical schools has really done a lot to unpack that, but there's just so many different avenues to uncover in that. And, um, and I guess I feel like we're in a period of time, uh, especially in the States more so than where I am in Canada, but where, where people are starting to, to leave evangelicalism and needing spaces and communities to, to unpack this shit, to really like feel not alone because it's, it's like your mind gets blown at some point and, um, you need somewhere to process stuff and where to think of stuff. And, um, I mean, I, I really admire what you do on your podcast of just giving people the floor to share their stories. Um, and we sort of, that's a lot of what we do on our podcast as well. Less about, you know, schools, which is your, your, we could, I guess more general, we'll pick like an area and just kind of go off on a tangent. And, uh, so that's sort of what we do. Um, I forget what I was going to say. Like well, yeah, we're that. talking about full mutuality, and like I remember, uh, Nate reached out to me a while ago, and I started listening to your podcast, and I listened to the, to the episode where you were talking about Asian hate, and that's when I knew, like, oh, I could be friends with these people because, Aww. um, you as Nate's partner encouraged him to to go deep and to to get real about it, and. I was sitting in this room. My, I was just setting up this room as a studio, and it was stuff all around me. And I remember like wiping tears as Nate was talking about his experience and his thoughts on the whole thing, and and your thoughts on it too, as someone who sees us and who who understood, you know, what was what we were we were going through. Um, yeah, it's that it's that level of connectivity and understanding that I think that probably is what draws everyone into full mutuality um you you guys present a very compassionate empathetic um vibe that i think yeah i i know people really really dig it thanks scott i i that means a lot to me and especially that that episode i mean considering you and Nate are both japanese american or he's half japanese american yeah. definitely i'm glad that 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 you fell on that episode as one of your first to listen to and i know like watching nate behind the scenes and and seeing what he was going through at that time as the pandemic was going on and and watching what was happening to the asian community i mean for me as a white person unaware but when the person that you love and are married to is breaking down crying and is struggling and and you're seeing like you know when they're when you're having to tell your your lola on his filipino side like don't go for walks lola like i'm like whoa Mm. 
these are scary situations that white people are not experiencing and Nate's very open and honest about a lot of stuff he like he puts the stuff he's like me in that way we're external we put everything out there but I think those were cards he held a lot closer to his heart and he was talking with me about it and I was like I didn't want to push it because it has to be coming from him when he wants to talk but when he was like okay I'm ready I'm ready to have this conversation I'm like yes I know it's going to be really meaningful because I've been learning so much just listening to you and you know hearing your heart and I think other people do need to you know hear out loud what it you know what this experience is like from you know from others and um and I appreciate talking about telling stories um you know this is not known to the people listening to this or to the people listening to my podcast but I was feeling uh at some point like I wasn't able to share a lot of details of my own story because I come from a very abusive uh foster childhood background uh been through a lot of stuff uh that I just other stuff too that I didn't feel like I wanted to to come public about um uh, because it's private and it's you know deep and I'm a very open person um and Nate had been processing so many of his church experiences from BJ you know from his university experience with BJU to Hillsong he's kind of he's run the course of you know when you talk yeah. about uh the Duggar girl coming out of fundamentalism and going into John MacArthur I feel like Nate's done those steps the whole way through and has pushed mm-hmm. himself forward I thought of that too yeah yeah it, like his different trajectory and I feel like when it came to my own a lot of my story was harder to tell and was more complex and maybe not stuff that I you know was ready to put out in the open but um I did reach out to a bunch of friends who had gone through some deconstruction and who I thought were good at listening to the stories of others and you were like a driving force behind me saying tell your story Gail and like you help create a safe space a few few people just joined in to like give me a space to just tell my story with like six seven other people and just listen to me and to share and it was it was a really healing thing for me but you were like one of the not only were you encouraging me to do this but like I knew I was like Scott's the person I want to be asking to join in something like this because you really have that gifting of creating space for the people around you and giving them that opportunity to be seen to be to be heard for their stories to really shine and you know your podcast is full of that your book is full of that it's um it's a gift that you have and uh Yeah, I I, oh, I wanted to say thank you on that level because that little private story is not everyone knows. But I had a few different people, and you were one of them, and you were a huge cheerleader for me to have space to just be seen and to tell my own my own story in detail. So wanted yeah, to say thank I you mean, for that. Oh, of course, I was honored to be included in it. It was, um, yeah. Someday you'll write a book. Someday. You'll, uh, <laughs> someday. <laughs> Or, oh, yeah. yeah, or a movie, you know, we have, I have people who can make a movie. Um, My sister has always been like, we need to do a movie on our foster home because it was so insane I that know. like it would make a good TV documentary, like one of those crazy cultish movies. But I, th- I think maybe in, on my future in the podcast i might get into foster care it's 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 so it makes me think of nate talking about the asian topic and mm-hmm. how it's been a harder one for him to talk about because it's so much more personal i feel like for me foster care is that topic where i care so much but to start to speak out loud about it is it feels like it digs somewhere really deep in that i need i know it's going to take a lot out of me emotionally but i have one of my foster brothers who's told me that he will pop his podcast cherry on mine and and come share in the future i don't know when it's going to happen or if but he said he wants to so i'm i that's ideas for the future i i hope to to get conversations going about speaking of marginalized people like foster kids is definitely a topic that 
feel like there's not a lot of just not a lot of conversations out there. I definitely didn't grow there up aren't. feeling like and there's only like a few really crappy news stories about all the abuse and, and neglect. Um especially like in here in California they they've been dealing with it. Nate just popped in the chat. He said there Aww. are no hard topics for me to talk about. <laughs> Is that what he said? I don't know yeah, if he heard we, the previous stuff. What we, we beg were to differ because I, I know he 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 really had to work hard to come up with nice things to say about the Dodgers. So, um. <laughs> oh yes, that's a different podcast. Yeah, that's another Asians in baseball, podcast. which is another podcast that you run. Yeah, yeah, we have like twenty five people that listen to that, so it's a little different. That is a niche podcast, um, but that's so cool. It's that niche, yeah. Um, so yeah, since Nate's in the chat now, like I was thinking about. You know, interracial relationships. And my wife is is white. Mm. Um, and Nate and I are really lucky to be partnered with people who see us and and support us in in, in looking at our identities. I know a lot of people in interracial relationships where um, they have a partner that loves them and cares for them, but is really not that interested in in their racial identity or, or things that they're struggling with. And, and that, that really makes me sad that, you know, they have, and, 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 and full disclosure, it's usually the dude that's like, you know, whatever, whatever, babe, you know, it's like, why you got to bring that up? You know, it's, it's like during the Asian hate stuff, there were a lot of tough conversations like in our community between some of the interracial couples who people expressing to me and some of my friends that they didn't feel supported by their partners who, um, didn't think it was that big of a deal and why 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 are you so emotional about this you know it's like um and i'm not i don't mean to compare you and jerry to like really shitty d dudes but i <laughs> always just to say that i appreciate we're lucky you know we, we we have partners that that not only listen to us but um push us to to address the things that um maybe aren't so easy to address mm. yeah i I think maybe, yeah, Nate wrote in the chat, we are lucky. But thanks, babe. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I definitely, I think something that helps me is, un like, because I feel like, yeah, definitely one of the things I appreciate, and I don't know if Jerry might echo this as well, um, being a woman, there's areas of marginalization all the time that men just don't get. And I'm constantly yeah. having to give me insight into, well, how do you think a woman like we were just watching Star Trek last night and there's so many there's so many to actually watching Star Trek there's so many of those scenes where I'm like yep definitely a guy writer behind this but even just oh. you know Riker having two women who he's both in a having doing stuff with at the same time because he lost his memory or whatever happened in that episode um but then mm. like I'm like you know if there would have been a female character she couldn't have done what he just did like that wouldn't have yeah. flew she would have been a whore she would have been you know but like there's just so many scenarios where I feel like as a woman kind of thinking through the details of what that looks like for us or Nate and I were having a conversation the other night about women in bars and what safety precautions that women have to take and you know yeah. Nate was trying to think through well maybe they can let the bartender know and I was sort of like yeah but babe what about if the guy catches on like you know kind of running through because women we've played through all these scenarios in much yeah. more detail so like a lot of times yeah. it's it's trying to catch men up on what it looks like to be a woman in, in the society that we live in and I feel like I understand that Nate won't fully get it, but he takes the time to care and to listen and to want to understand it, to want to like be an ally and a support and, you know, fuck the patriarchy and all the rest of that. And I feel like yeah. that that means a lot to me. And that's kind of helps me when I'm realizing the value of me doing the same for him. Like 
what it means to me to have him try and listen to things from my perspective as a woman in society. I'm not Asian. I'm white. So there are tons of things that I'm going to completely miss that are never going to be a part of my experience that I'm never going to understand fully. And just like he'll never understand fully what it's like to be a woman, but I could sit, mm -hmm. I can listen, I could appreciate, I can value yeah. what, and, and there's so much that, I mean, I get more we out of- We can recognize it, you know, yeah. even if we don't know what it's like to experience it directly. Yeah, you can use some pieces of being excluded and having to downplay yeah. yourself to relate to what another group goes through. And and just when you're talking to another marginalized group, I don't know, I always feel like I learn so much. Like mm -hmm. I, when I'm talking to non-white people, I just learn a lot more than listening to white. <laughs> unless they're women or they have some other or they're disabled or there's something or they're queer. Some experiences people have gone through, they've had to dig deep because of what they've gone through. So when they're talking, there's a richness to that, that having to work through harder things um, in terms of discovering who they are and, and learning to be who they are. Um, yeah. That's just, yeah, I feel, I feel honored that he lets me in and, and um, my taste in spicy has gone from white to like, I can handle spice now. And oh, hell yeah. I, and I, I like, <laughs> love going to different ramen shops with Nate all over my city. And we've really, um, yeah. yeah, I feel, and Nate loves cooking for me, which I, I have full appreciation for that. And yeah, we're, we have that skills, in common. I'm the cook in the family. So it is so nice to have a man cook. Ladies, find yourself one of these guys <laughs> that can cook. <laughs> Um, but hey, I, I'm, I don't know if this is true or not, but if you cook and Nate cooks, I, and I know Nate's dad cooks, I guess is an Asian, Asian men is cooking more like acceptable than in a lot of other European cultures where like, yeah, it's more normal for men because in Italian culture, like you know, the women do the cooking, you know, Although oh. a lot of Italian guy cooks. Wow. Yeah. One, one thing that you will probably like, so Jerry being a, a white person she she knows she notices that when she goes to the store by herself she's just seen as you know a white person but when she's with me or with, when she's with the kids she notices that people look at her differently and even kind of interact with her differently um and so it's been fascinating like anthropologically <laughs> for her mm -hmm. to sort of navigate that there are days where I'm like, you should just go and enjoy being a white person because that must be awesome. Because when you can just sort of, <laughs> you just sort of. Those be. people are can be so obnoxious, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we can be pretty annoying. I mean, there's got to be times where you're hanging out with just the guys, and you're like, oh, too much, too much guy oh, yeah, going no, I can't, on in this room. <laughs> I can't do. Yeah, I can't do the toxic dude thing anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's fascinating. Like like one one time she went, she took my daughter, our daughter when she was a baby to a family thing in Wisconsin or I think it was Minnesota, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Sorry. My Minnesota friends are now screaming at me because <laughs> but I can't remember which family member it was. It's one of those. Anyway, she got out, she gets off the plane holding our daughter <clears throat> and an old white guy comes up to her and says, Oh, you, you must have adopted a Vietnamese baby. Wow. And my and Jerry was like, this is my daughter. And the guy just looks so confused. Like, what? But you know, it didn't even occur to him that she might have married someone who was Asian. You know, or had a baby with someone who was Asian. And the funny thing was, my my take was, well, you know, that's common in that part of the country. Um, Korean adoptees, you know, Southeast Asian adoptees. That's it's so. And I was, it was weird. I wasn't like defending him, but I was sort of like rationalizing. And and Jerry was just like, yeah, well, it's just racist. I'm like, hmm. yeah, 
Yeah, it was. It's just plain old <laughs> like, regular like, racism. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Just, um, so, yeah. We got married when we were young, and she took my name. And, you know, if we did that today, she probably wouldn't. And I would support her in that. But, you know, we were young and Christian. But it's become kind of a political statement to have a, a white woman with the last name Okamoto. Mm. And her first name is, is male, Jerry. So when she's a dentist, and when new patients come in, they're often very confused because they think a Japanese Who man is, is going to come in. Yeah. Yeah, and she's she's even started working on people, and they're like, "Is the dentist gonna come in?" She's like, "Yeah, I'm 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 Doctor Jerry." That is me. Yeah, that must be so much fun in one way. We are fucking with people's assumptions all (laughs) over the place. Love it, (laughs) totally. Well, I mean, I'm I'm yeah, I have uh, I won't go with my last name, but I have an Italian, very Italian last name, and my first name is Gail. So it was very odd in Italian church because even my grandfather couldn't even say my name. He just looked at me sad and. And then he would just call me beautiful in French because he spoke French as well. <laughs> so he would, uh, right. yeah, that's it's always fun to mess with what, what, yeah. I was like, mom, why did you do this? You put me in a French province with an English name that no one can pronounce, like French people cannot say Gail. So really? Yeah. They go like Gael, Gael. Like it's, it sounds <laughs> awful when they're trying. I'm like, oh yeah, uh, there is I don't no even like know. ale sound. In yeah. I don't even know French. what to tell them to try and say. I just kind of let them keep trying and, and see how close they can get. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. it gives me a little bit of a taste of what people go through with foreign names, you know, trying to yeah. adjust them into white culture and, and how, you know, people don't know what to do with not being able to pronounce your name. And yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, we've covered a lot of ground today. We started with Christian shit and ended with uh, interracial relationship stuff. Yeah. So um, that is, that's a conversation. That's and, a good conversation. Um, yeah. I knew and this I would be a good have, conversation. I, I hope we have many more um, to, to come. Can I come on your web? Can I come, come back to your podcast? Cause, yes, uh, please I, do. Because last time when we had you on, I think we had just befriended you and like, or we were new friends and like just starting stuff together. And now I feel yeah. like you are an old friend. You're not an old friend. You're not old in any sense of the word, Scott. Not uh, old and I not am just old, but plain old. Yeah. You are, funny. you are a friend that we have now had many conversations with. And, uh, you know, you got an invite to our wedding. So that means Nate and I really like you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and we've, and we've appreciated you so much. So yes, we want to, I want to do a follow up because I feel like, that converse and I have to re-listen to what we talked about, but I want to hear about your process and what that's been like for you in writing your book and, and with where you're at now and how that feels. I, I have lots of questions for you. So yes, okay. I am. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. Let's do, do that. It. You'll um, be like, we might even, we want to put that out there probably before your uh, book comes out. We want to encourage people to do the pre-sales thing because I know that's helpful. So guys, oh, get, yeah. that, get that it's, done. Yeah. My my publisher said it's important and not important. It's uh, the pre-sale thing. As All long right. As so if it. this episode comes out after your book, then people yeah, buy it anyway, it even if yeah, it's I not think, pre-sales. Yeah, I'm <laughs> Just, not going to start the season until after or right around the book. So okay. it's all well, good. It's all we'll good. We'll see. We'll see if we can get yours out before, even maybe before we start our season. Um, but yeah, let's, let's do this. But yeah. Sweet. So salute to Nate in the chat who, um, who's been hanging uh, I assume you guys will probably talk now, so <laughs> yeah, uh, yep. I will excuse myself from the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, thank you so much, Gail. It's 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 a it's an honor to have you on, and it, the Full Mutuality Podcast is uh, such an important 
part of the community. So keep it's going. Been, it's been an honor to be on yours, Scott. Feeling is totally mutual. I just, when you asked me, I was like, I don't have any experience in this. But yes, I'm coming on Scott's, Scott's podcast, 100%. Yeah, well, I mean, part of the reason I even have most of these conversations is just to be able to talk to someone. So it's... um. Uh-huh. You yeah, have great conversations, so thank you. I was like, Scott's non non university people are all celebrities. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like he got this love. Well, you might be. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to be a celebrity. You you might be when you do a book or movie, but yeah. All right, future me maybe. <laughs> yep. All right. all right. Thanks, Gail. You're welcome. Take care. And I did get interviewed on Full Mutuality the day my book dropped, even though they were on a break between seasons. Uh, That's how great Gail and Nate are and how supportive they are. They interrupted their much-needed break from podcasting to drop an episode with me. Yeah. I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. Um, If you enjoyed this conversation, the three of us together, yeah, it's awesome. So... Also, Gail is totally a celebrity in this deconstruction world. She has way more followers than I do on social media. That's that's not saying a a ton, I guess. But um, And hey, she's partnered with Nate. And well, that's a podcast power couple right there. So thanks again to Gail for coming on to Chapel Probation. And uh, I told her about that sketch and she she said it was cool. I always worry that I'm going to cross a line and be too offensive. And uh, I should shout out, uh, my son Ethan is home for a couple weeks from film film school, film education at San Francisco, Sk- San, uh, San Francisco State. Owen, my youngest, played himself. Um, <laughs> I just heard him singing um, along with his, his playlist, and I heard him do Louis Armstrong. And I was like, that's so cute. I want to put that on. And then their friend, uh, Wasim, uh, who Ethan met at San Francisco State, came on. And I forgot to shout out last week that Audrey and her boyfriend, Shant, did the sketch with the Temple of Aaron. So um, if you haven't listened to that, uh, they did. <laughs> it's did amazing. Oh, we, we got to get away from these sketches and go back to something more interesting. But anyway, thank you again for listening to this episode of Chapel Probation. We will be back next week with another episode.